It's wonderful to be together this weekend and to uh, sense the mercy of God that's drawn us together. I'm very thankful that I also feel a oneness with my two brothers who are sharing ministry and uh, feel that somehow the Lord has prepared us all for one message. And then also I want to thank the Lord for the uh, sense of our hearts together being drawn to the Lord in these days. How wonderful that is. The sense the Lord just literally drawing us in these times into this matter of stewardship together. It truly is a blessing to be here. We'd like to turn to uh, 1 Peter in chapter 4 and read the verses that uh, have to do with the matters I will be sharing on tonight. Tonight we'll read 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. While you're turning there, let me just ask a question here. Uh, now, uh, how many of you did not hear me last night? <laughs> okay. Uh, one more question. Uh, how many of you are here at Harvey Cedars for this conference for the first time? Well, now that's... Really, very wonderful. And of course, we welcome you all. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received the gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. We also want the Lord Jesus, who alone is deserving of glory, to receive the glory this weekend. We thank you for gathering us and for speaking to us and for drawing us to thyself. And now we want to depend upon the Holy Spirit, who alone can produce life out of stewardship. O oh Lord, let the speaking take on life and let the hearing take on life as we are in your presence at this very moment. Thank you for gathering us together. Help us, Lord. We pray for those tired from the long day, those who even arrived this evening, that you'll refresh us in your presence. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We're glad you're here. I'm not sure if we still have a sparrow in the house of God as well. <laughs> Right behind me. Oh, that's nice. 
Now that I've called your attention to it, I would like for you not to look at the sparrow. It'll look like a tennis match as I see your eyes going back and forth. He's here. He's welcome. And so are you. I think you understand this point that we are making together. The truth is that we are all stewards. So that answers the first question. And now the question is, will we be faithful and prudent or unfaithful? We will talk about this matter of stewardship, and I think it throws a little bit of fear into the believer. But don't be afraid. The Lord has desired to give you his kingdom. And as we talk about stewardship tonight, it says nowhere in scripture that your stewardship has to be without mistake, without flaw, perfect. As a matter of fact, in the context of stewardship, did you notice that Peter says, and let love cover a multitude of sins? Now, back in Flushing, we have a sinner in our midst, our brother Christian Chen. <laughs> he always borrows an extra 15 or 20 minutes. <laughs> if he ever pays us back, we will have five-minute sermons for six years. <laughs> but you know, he is one of God's stewards of the mysteries of God. And I think we need to show fervent love to our dear brother and forgive his multitude of sins. <laughs> and actually, I believe that's what is being spoken of in this context. If you know someone has a heart to serve and above all wants to be a steward of the Lord Jesus, then show them some mercy. Have patience with them. Who do you know that first became aware of their stewardship of the Lord Jesus, who was able to carry the ball from the beginning to the touchdown. I know of no one. I don't know any human being who's ever said, Lord, I want to serve you, and they made no mistakes. We go down that gridiron, and we fumble, and we kick it away, and we lose the ball, but just jump back on it and ask the Lord for mercy. You know what? It isn't the perfect steward who gets the reward. It's the faithful steward. When the Lord comes back, you're still playing football. Sorry for the analogy. One of the few sports I played. But the Lord just wants you to be faithful. From the very moment that we're Christians, you know, we're actually already a steward because a steward is somebody who has received the grace of God. And as soon as you receive the grace of God, now you've received something from the Lord that you can pass along. And it's amazing with new Christians who aren't aware, of course, that they're stewards. And yet they steward. Because you look at them and you can see the change in their countenance. Already they're stewarding the gospel. And you hear the song in their heart and you hear the new words as this person begins to speak words about Jesus instead of curse words. 
and you see the light in their eyes and you see some joy in their heart and already they're communicating the gospel as a good steward. They didn't even know it. Because after all, stewardship is simply responding to the grace of God. Whatever he has placed into your life, pass it on. Show it forth. Give thanks to the Lord. So we're all stewards. And as we see in this passage, be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. What a calling this is. What a challenge this is to us. Now the reason I've stayed over in the corner here is I just wanted to uh, list in a summary fashion just seven points regarding stewardship that have been covered so far uh, this weekend and I just wanted to list them because uh, more than half the people here tonight were not here last night and the other half were asleep so uh, we, <laughs> we all could use a catch up. So here's just seven things and I just put it here not because I'm going to dwell on them so if you're going to write them, write them. Be quick. Need good stewardship, shorthand. Okay, here we go. We look at these seven things regarding stewardship, and the first is all stewards are servants. Nothing more than a servant, but a servant who's recognized they have a responsibility because of the grace they receive. A servant is a steward in the making, and a steward is a son in the making. And whether you are trying to be responsible as a steward or whether you are uh, uh, stewarding responsibly as a mature son, it's still imperfect here in this life. And even though our position now is just a humble servant, hold on to the hope of Scripture that one day you will be a glorious son. Isn't that wonderful? A humble servant now. And let the Lord promote you up. Glorious Son. This is what the Lord is doing in our lives. So there we are. We're on the way, in the making. Don't be afraid of the process. Recognize the grace of God in your life and say, Lord, you've given me this. Now what should I do with it? Ah, there's a good steward, a servant. Second point, stewards are given something belonging to the master. The master has given you something by grace. It may be a gift, a gift of speaking. It may be a thousand bucks. It may be a joy in your heart. It could be uh, a prayer, as our brother shared this morning in the devotion time. But it's something that belongs to the master. So the steward doesn't own it. But he is given delegated authority to distribute according to the master's will. When the Lord gives you something, he also gives you the grace and authority and anointing to distribute that which you've been given according to the will of God. So whatever you have, whatever possessions you have, they are given to you by the Lord and they are his to distribute and yours to disperse according to his will. Number three, Our stewardship pertains to others of God's household as a representative of the master's care of his own. Now, stewardship is a word that really comes from an old English word that means the ward of a house. A steward is somebody in God's house. So we're dealing with other people. Even in this passage here in 1 Peter, 
If you'll notice in verses uh, 8, 9, and 10, one another is used in each verse. Love one another fervently. Be hospitable one to another. Whoever's received a gift, employed in serving one another. You see, stewardship has to do with the household of God, and it has to do with us ministering things to our brothers and sisters in the house as representing the love and care of our God for one another. You get to show somebody how much God loves them by your stewardship. Number four, all stewardship has a limited, uh, is limited according to measure and sphere. Now, that, these are two phrases used in New American Standard. Other translations use different things. But all stewardship is limited. And it's limited by the measure that you have and the sphere that God gives you. So there is the household steward, there is the ship's steward, there is the shop steward, there is the wine steward. They have a limited responsibility, you see. So as an example, as, as far as Paul's measure goes, he says there in Ephesians chapter 3, that his measure is this, I get to present the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now that's some measure of ministry. That, as Ernie said, how do you measure the immeasurable? But this is Paul's job. But his sphere was to go to the Gentiles and speak of these things. And he said sometimes, I wish I could go to the Jews, but somehow that's just not my bailiwick. So even Paul had a limitation in his stewardship. He said, my stewardship is to declare to the Gentiles that they are fellow heirs and fellow members and fellow partakers. Right? And so you and I, we have limit in our stewardship. Uh, number five. The more a steward is given, the more is required of him. We read that at the end of the parable in Luke chapter 12, basically. Right? The more that one has, the more is required. But now I have put it in a positive way because that way scares everybody. I, I could picture somebody even praying tonight, Lord, don't give me any more. <laughs> what I got's enough. I don't want... No, no, let's look at it in a positive way. Here we go, positively. The more one is faithful, the more of the master's riches one can touch and dispense. Think of it positively. Yes, you're called to more responsibility when you're given more. But think of it. You get to handle, to touch the treasures of Jesus and then dispense them. And guess what? There's some more. And so, let's do that. Uh, let's be positive about that. Number six. You know, uh, these parables about the steward all have this matter of kingdom reward attached to them. And I'm sure you saw that and became frightened by it. And now you've gone back to, oh, just give me a little tiny cottage up in glory. And never mind the mansion, you know, how people do that kind of thing. Oh, humble me, I don't care for much. No, here's the deal. A steward is rewarded not based upon what he has received, whether many talents or one talent, but upon what has he has given according to the master's will. Our reward is not based on what we received, or what we passed out, 
according to the master's will. So uh, you know in Matthew 7, those scary people who come up and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all this kind of stuff? He said, you didn't do it my way. There are many people who use the gifts of God for their own ends. And they won't be rewarded, you see, because rewards based on what we are able to distribute and do according to the master's will. And then the seventh, the secret of a good steward, which our brother Ernie shared so beautifully this afternoon, is this. It's not the amount of faith you have. It's not your wisdom or prudence in the end. It's not how gifted. It's not how much zeal. The secret of a steward is to be totally devoted to your master. Whether you have a lot or a little, if you're totally devoted to the master, then I know one thing about you. You'll be master conscious in all that you do. Oh, I better feed the children right because the master may come back tonight and he'll see what was set on the table. Master consciousness out of devotion for the Lord. And so the secret is devotion. How much do we really love the Lord? The Lord has many people who are his servants and his stewards and some, as we have heard already this weekend, began well, but something hindered them. They left their stewardship or became unfaithful in their stewardship. You may be such a person. Most people who have a long history with the Lord have some times where you know you just wasted the things that the Lord has given you. And so at this point, I just want to exhort you. Now let's come back to the Lord. And let's say, O oh Lord, I'm an unworthy servant, but I do love thee. Is there something that I can care for in your household? And then whatever the Lord gives you, be faithful now. Because remember, he hasn't come back yet. You've got time to get back in the business and to pick up the ball and to be his steward until he comes. Amen? Okay. Well, that's good enough. You can put those away. And if you need it afterwards, uh, they'll put it back up on the board. So much for these, uh, this matter of, defi of defining, as it were, what a steward is. Now we want to look at a little bit of what it means, the manifold grace of God. What does this mean? Now we have to understand this definition, the manifold grace of God in its widest interpretation. Because Peter was not thinking narrowly about something that specific. The manifold grace of God is, a, is an unsearchable amount. How much grace does the Lord have? In how many particulars and manifestations do we see the grace of God? It is virtually limitless. So we can't have a small picture. We need to have a large sense of this manifold grace of God that is seen in the church. But when we look at the specific passage, because, of course, Peter was speaking in context, let's just note three things that we can share about this evening, three practical matters that we can share on this evening in the matter of stewardship of the manifold grace of God. If you'll notice, of course, it's in verse 10 that this word is mentioned, the manifold grace of God. So preceding this, we find the first area of stewardship, that he is referring to, that being this matter of hospitality. If you look in chapter 4 of 1 Peter, verses 8 and 9, 
Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. In the broadest sense, I want to talk tonight about this whole matter of the stewardship of our possessions. Our homes, our cars, our food, our time, our inviting people over, hospitality has very much to do with the grace of God in the household of God. And then after verse 10, we see in verse 11, two other general categories of gifts, he says. Each who has a, spe a special gift, exercise it as a good steward of the manifold grace of God. And then he mentions two areas of gifting that are like general categories, not to be too specific. The first is a speaking gift. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. And we know that there are many different kinds of speaking gifts. And when somebody has received one, then it behooves us to be good stewards of that speaking gift. We will speak about that. And then, and then finally, the third one is whoever serves. And this has to do... It's just a general idea, but it has to do with, let's say, the non-speaking ministries in the body of Christ. Whoever serves, but of course it includes all ministry. Whoever serves by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, these are seen in the broadest term, but the general meaning is very clear. So let's just see the general truth that is spoken by Peter here. Number one, whatever you have is no longer your own. It's been given to you by the Father who gives all blessings to his children without any shadow of turning, any doubting. We have received everything we have by the grace of God. Now it is no longer our own, nor are we to steward it according to our own will. And so this is Peter's important point he's making. Second point that he makes very clear is, in the last days, the highest priority must be fervent love one to another. This is the rule of our stewardship. Beyond ourselves and our own self-needs, there is this fervent love we need to show one to another. And then just this little note, I am, I'm sure almost all of you know this, but it's this process where grace becomes gift and gift becomes life. You know that the word grace in Greek is charis, and the word gift in the Greek is charisma. It's the same word virtually, except a, a neuter ending, M-A, put on the end of the word to, to, to imply that this is grace made concrete. A gift is simply grace made concrete. So here we are as a steward. When we receive grace, it becomes a gift to us. We receive the grace of God, an enabling grace. A grace that enables us to talk about the Lord. 
And we talk about the Lord, and when we minister this gift according to the will of God, what happens? It imparts life to others. Grace becomes a gift, and gift becomes life. Now, of course, it's not quite that simple. It's possible for grace to become gift, and then I can use the gift the way I want, and life doesn't uh, uh, come out. Now, there, there is a whole other issue, isn't there, about what it means to be under the yoke of the Lord, doing His will, under His anointing, following His leading, going through His cross, so that that gift can be broken and come out on the other side as life. But looking at just from the stewardship process, how wonderful we received grace from God. Some kind of ability. Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And it's proven to be what I've needed to be an apostle. He became an apostle by the grace of God, giving him some kind of ability that allowed him to apostle. And when you receive this ability, see, some people think, oh, well, I should know when a gift hits me. No, not necessarily. The Lord just enables you to do something. And you do it. And, and people receive life. And so uh, those uh, dear saints, uh, they take a big chance, and they ask you to speak again. And you speak again, and the Lord gives you the enabling to do it, and others receive life. After a while, you call this transaction of receiving that ability a gift. Just recognize, well, it just seems to, I connect with the Lord in this way, and it works. And then there's another dear brother who can't uh, preach his way out of a paper bag. But the Lord gives him a grace and enabling to encourage other people. And when he encourages, you just feel like you've been blessed by the Lord himself. You see, a gift is only a gracing given to you. And if you are, as you learn to be a good steward through a process of development, for sure, what happens is you take the gift and then there's this amazing transaction by the Holy Spirit where it's distributed as life to others. Grace to you, life to others. What a wonderful transaction. But you see, stewardship is very important. This is an important midpoint in the whole transaction. As we've heard already twice from our brother Stephen and Ernie, you know, the Lord could say things to you directly from heaven. But he chooses rather to give some grace to somebody who shares. And then, of course, the Holy Spirit usually has to do an awful lot of interpreting into your heart. You say, ah, I received that life. Many people come up to me and say, oh, I received, I remember this point. Then they tell me something I never said. <laughs> then I think to myself, you know, there's the Holy Spirit. He's interpreting again. <laughs> I'm sure if you have spoken, this same thing has happened to you. Okay, so in the most wonderful way we see this manifold grace of God in God's assembly as he enables this one to do this and this one to do that. Now, having said that, let's look at these three areas of the grace uh, that's manifold. The first is the grace, let's call it the grace of giving. Our possessions, what we have, are they there at God's disposal? Hospitality is a... <laughs> As the times draw nearer the end, it becomes, I think, more and more a priority in the Lord. Are you really hospitable with fervent love one to another? 
You can imagine the hospitality that must have come upon the saints there in Jerusalem after the day of Pentecost. So many visitors like Barnabas who came to Cyprus for the Feast of Pentecost and he got saved there and he ended up staying in Jerusalem. Well, guess what? He had to stay at somebody's house along with the other 3,000 who suddenly needed a place to stay. Thank God there's 120 opened their homes and so-and-so was sleeping in the washer and the other one was sleeping in the dryer. But they did it. And then Barnabas, so full of the grace of God, says, wait a minute, I got to go home. They said, where are you going? He went home, he sold his property. He came back and said, here we go, $26,000. That's what it costs for my home because I'm staying here where the Lord's working. Uh, grace supplying, grace in hospitality, uh, grace feeding. They were all eating with gladness of heart. I mean, maybe they were eating a lot of matzah crackers, but they were eating it with gladness and singleness of heart. There was such love among the saints, such hospitality. But of course, the same was true here when Peter's writing, and probably he's in Rome. And you know, in Rome, people are always passing through coming for a visit. Slaves are coming with delivering things to Rome and they became Christians and so now they need a place to stay. And so Rome has to be so hospitable. I believe our brother Christian Chen, uh, he counted the five hills of Rome where there were houses where the saints met. And I'm sure all of them were just filled with visitors. And you know what happens? Somebody gets saved and they were just passing through. Now their whole life is in upheaval and they need a place to stay and and find out more about the Lord. And so here we are, people staying in our houses and the whole this sort of thing going on. Hospitality. Oh, it's such a blessed expression of Jesus' love, one for another. We feel a, a burden in New York City where we are of the importance of hospitality. You know, we have a Monday night Bible study, we have a Thursday night prayer meeting, and Sunday we have a little meeting in Manhattan itself. In Flushing as well, I go over there and they have a meal every Sunday. And it isn't just the, you know, the imported styrofoam boxes. The brothers and sisters go down there and cook those meals every Sunday for more than 400 people. It's amazing. Hospitality. And there in Manhattan, we had this little group. So every Monday night, a couple of the uh, young uh, professionals and young adults in the place, they have to come bringing some food with them. And we feed maybe 30 people or more before the Bible study. Now, it seems like such a waste. Why do that? You know, in New York City, these young, young adults, they're away from home. And just that little touch of love some of the times it helps them find their home in Jesus. There's so many young Christians in New York City just lost and wandering, working their heads off. And they, down is up and up is down. If they can just have a meal and, and our precious brothers and sisters, they talk and chat and pray and help. Hospitality. I believe in hospitality. I think it shows the love of God. And it's so necessary. But this is just touching on a matter that's much larger, of course, because the Lord would have uh, all of us be useful in some way of, of expressing the grace of God and his love to people by the use of our possessions. Paul uh, writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, as you know, the famous verses on stewardship. 
I'd like for us to look at just two sections there. He speaks specifically on the grace of giving. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, let's read beginning in verse 1. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the grace of fellowship in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but first they gave themselves to the Lord, and then to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus that as he previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this grace as well. I'm speaking how it literally says in Greek, you see, we've added things. Verse 7, but just as you abound in everything in faith, and utterance, and knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in the love we inspired, and you see that you abound in this grace also. I am not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Here is an interesting uh, situation where Paul is collecting money to send to Jerusalem and the saints in need there in Judea. And uh, he's speaking to the church in Corinth and there's a problem there. And he uses the Macedonians as a testimony of the grace of God. Now the Corinthians we know were rich in grace, they were rich in gifts, they were rich in wisdom, they were rich in leadership, but they were poor as stewards of the grace of God. Why? Because they had an intention to give, but no discipline. And so a year after they promised, oh yeah, we'll give something, they hadn't come up with anything yet. But their intention, now every Christian intends to give 90% of everything you have to the Lord one day. The problem is to have the discipline to do it now. Intention is not stewardship. Meanwhile, here are these Macedonians who are going through affliction of persecution and who are poor, and yet they're rich. And why are they rich? Because they discovered the secret of giving grace. They are cheerfully giving out of their poverty. And it's pleasing to the Lord. And Paul is, is using this to speak to the Corinthians about their need to be disciplined now in their set, setting aside of things. Now, you know, in the New Testament and among us who are uh, uh, saved by grace, there is no law. Paul says, I don't make a command to you. This 10% business is something we've thro thrown over from the Old Testament. I remember the most dreaded day when I was a Baptist pastor was Stewardship Sunday. 
Now, for most of you who have not been in a denomination, that doesn't strike fear in your hearts. But most of the saints, you had to cajole to even come to the meeting. Because on Stewardship Sunday, the pastor was, he had to preach on the 10% tithe because that's part of being a member of a Baptist church. And then all the members receive a box of 52 envelopes with their name on it. And every week they're expected to put money in that envelope, it would be counted, and the right hand would know what the left hand is doing. <laughs> this was a time where we came as close to Old Testament theology as ever there was. And it struck fear in the saints, many of whom showed up sick. But it's okay, the deacons went to their houses with the boxes <laughs> of envelopes. Because it's Stewardship Sunday. So Stewardship Sunday meant I got to give money this year. That's all it meant. And that's not what Paul means. He's talking about looking like Jesus, who though he was rich, became poor. That we, through his poverty, may be enriched. That's the love of God. That's the grace of God. That's the grace of God you see in individuals who give like that. In the last days, many trials, many financial troubles. But there are those who manifest the grace of God in generous giving. This stewardship is called for by the Lord. And it's interesting to me, as I have been in a number of fellowship places uh, here and there over the years, and I've always noticed two people who really stand out. There are those saints of means. I've never met a saint yet who calls himself rich. But I've met saints of means who give sacrificially and are such good stewards. They use prudence. They use anonymity. They give sacrificially. Most of the people live on the largesse of a few who are faithful and give. But don't you know the Lord knows that? These people are faithful. I say God bless them. And God make them a multi-millionaire. Because whatever they receive, they use for the Lord. That's so precious. And the other thing you notice, interestingly, when you go from place to places, there are some people who give cheerfully out of their poverty. Even generously. And it shames you when you see how precious that is. Many dear saints who have very little are so faithful in giving what they have to the Lord. Oh, that we might manifest this grace of God. How the church is blessed every time there are those who understand this grace and give. You know, in, in chapter 9, let's just look at uh, verse 5 through 7. This giving is also called blessing. And again, I will read according to the literal. In verse 5 of chapter 9, it says, So uh, I thought it necessary to urge you, brethren, that they would go on ahead of you and arrange beforehand your previously promised blessing, so that the same would be ready as a blessing and not affected by covetousness. Now this I say, 
He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows blessing will also reap blessing. Now, I'm not going to speak about prosperity, but I do want to say we bless the Lord as servants of the Lord, but we also need to bless one another in this same kind of stewardship. This summer, I was with Brother Lance. Uh, we were out in Seattle at a conference and had some time, and I was talking to him, and I wanted to find out more about Lady Ogle. Lady Ogle was a dear Christian sister of small stature uh, in England that our brother Stephen knows, and uh, she's gone on to be with the Lord many years ago. She was a very faithful steward. She was a, uh, she was a well, I don't know what you call it. I guess it's royalty. She was a lady, Lady Ogle. And an interesting story, this is how Lance put it, and it just stuck with me, you know. Because we also got to talking about C.T. Studd, and he says it's interesting. You know, C.T. Studd, the famous pioneer cricketer who went off to China and then to India, then to Africa. Uh, this, this uh, as a young man, he was, one, he was the most famous cricket player in England at the time that he received a fortune from his family, and he gave it all away. He went off as a missionary, basically just trusting the Lord for the rest of his life. And uh, Lance said, well, it's interesting, uh, Norman Grubb, who wrote the book uh, C.T.'s Dud, said, if C.T. had kept the money, it would have ruined them. And if Lady Ogle had given away her money, it would have ruined her. I said, well, what do you mean by that? C.T. Dud had to give his, his money away, and he just served the Lord free and simple. No encumbrance. He couldn't have handled it. Lady Ogle, when she was revived in her heart, you know, she became a widow very young and she had great possessions and uh, mansions and houses and several places. Uh, she was touched by Jesse Penn Lewis and by different Christian ministries. She decided to give all of her wealth away. And just before she did it, the Lord stopped her and said, Wait a minute. What are you doing? She said, well, I'm giving all my money away. She's getting ready to write a big check to this foundation, this mission society. And uh, the Lord said, this is my money, not yours. She said, well, I, I just thought I, I want you to keep that money, and I want you to give it to whom I want you to give it to. And so this dear sister began a stewardship that helped in many ways the ministries of T. Austin Sparks, even the ministry of our brother Nee the brother, uh, brother Bak Singh in India, uh, brother Lance Lambert in London, and so on it goes. His dear sister was a prudent steward. And the Lord said, don't give it all away. So for some, the Lord says, give it all away. For others, the Lord says, be prudent and give where I say. Do you see? But both of these dear saints and servants manifested the grace of God and the blessing of God in giving. So just as with hospitality, what do we have that's not been given us by the Lord? In a time of trial, it's a temptation to kind of hunker down and tighten them, zip up the pockets, and wait till things blow over. But no, 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 no. In a time where things are difficult, it's time for us to manifest the graciousness of God and hospitality and care for one another. You know, it would be such a blessing for all of our assemblies. Part of that hospitality is inviting saints to come from 
over there to over here. You know, receiving saints who are here and there. All of that. Some people here are such faithful stewards over the years. But we all need to learn this lesson. This matter of stewardship of our possessions. It manifests Jesus as the greatest giver in the world. The second area where we see the manifold grace of God is this matter of speaking gifts. Again, we go back to 1 Peter, and we just make note of this phrase he uses in verse 11 of chapter 4. The grace of speaking. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Now, it's interesting... When you look at the different passages that list the gifts of grace and the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10, and Ephesians chapter 4, and Romans chapter 12, there's approximately 10 speaking gifts and 10 service gifts. They are various and manifold and not all the same. It's a shame that we try to cookie-cut everybody into the same kind of a speaker. But how wonderful. You know if you have a living assembly where there's a number of brothers, how different each one is. But they each minister life in an unusual and different way. We not only have evangelists and prophets and teachers, the usual ones, but, but we have these ones that I like to name, but they're not usually named, but like encouragers. We have people who are inspirers. We have people who are Warners, right? We, are, we have people who are enlighteners. Every time they speak, boop, another light goes on. There's so many manifold gifts of speaking. But we also have people who have these gifts. And to be honest with you, they're just lazy. It's a shame to have such a grace and be so selfish as to not be burdened to pray, to ask the Lord for something, because you know he would give it to you. There are some who are just lazy. And, of course, there are some who are ambitious. They want to speak every Sunday. And whether they have something or not, it's not the problem. And they're overextending their measure and their sphere, wanting to be, you know, all over Christendom today, we've got evangelists who are trying to be pastors. We've got prophets who are trying to be apostles. Why, why should we do this? Why not do what the Lord has given you the grace to do? Whatever that is. You know, the measure is basically this. Speak as long as the Lord has given you life to say something. And if it's only 10 minutes, let it be 10 good minutes. Believe me, the saints will bless you. <laughs> and if it's an hour, let it be the life of the Lord for an hour and not just a lot of filler, things that you got on the Internet. <laughs> Stories and things, you know. Now, in this matter of stewardship, what should be our standard? And here is a very sobering standard, isn't it? One who speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Or other translations say, as the oracle of God. Now that's a very high standard that should bring anybody who's a speaker to their knees. Our steward of stewards, the Lord Jesus, wants us to speak 
as it were, the oracle of God. We are representing God when we're speaking. It's important not only what we say, but the attitude in which we say it. It needs to represent God and not ourselves. Speaking the utterances of God, this is such a challenge. For those of you who have a, a speaking gift, to be prepared. What a shame when somebody comes and you can tell they're not prepared. They threw something together. Now listen, anybody who is going to attempt to be a steward in this speaking gift, now that I've paralyzed all of you with fear, I want to say that everyone prophesies in part. And by the exercise of faithfulness, we eventually learn what's God and what's us. And meanwhile, the saints have to forgive a multitude of sins. <laughs> Do you see? I mean, this, no, this is the truth. This is the truth. Those who are mature, you know, things have changed so much in the last 10, 15 years. But 15 years ago, those who were mature in the body could almost say, well, let's see, that guy just read In Touch with the Throne by Brother Sparks. Because what the guy is teaching was, you know, page 36 to 45. <laughs> and you know it. Or that, you know what, the stranger, that reminds me exactly of Brother Nee's teaching in such and such a book. You know, we used to be able to tell that when somebody would speak. Now, only those who are net savvy realize, boy, that came right off BelieveNet. <laughs> and brothers and sisters, I want to warn you about going to the net for your messages more than going to the Lord. There's a lot of stuff I read on the net that is not only inaccurate, it's just dead wrong. Wrong interpretations, wrong doctrines. Don't believe everything you're reading out there. I'm glad that many of you who are net savvy are out there getting your devotions and reading things all the way and going from here to there and everything. Don't believe everything now. You're a steward who has to rightly divide the word of truth. Don't let others divide it for you on the net and then you just spit it out. Study the word itself. See what it says. And the Lord will... Give patience to the saints as you begin to exercise this gift. But how wonderful it is. Isn't it when somebody would stand up to speak, whatever they are, whatever their gift is, whether long or short or strong or timid, and yet when they speak, we hear, as it were, God speaking. Isn't that what the Lord wants in our midst? That wouldn't that feed our hungry people? So many Christians are absolutely in a, a desert and a famine for the word of God. So at least let us in our assemblies speak living words. Words that somebody says, oh, I'm refreshed. I'll never forget the first time I met Sister Kerr and Sister Pearl. Those two dear sisters who uh, served the Lord in uh, China and uh, in the Far East for so many years. And I, I was so interested because both of them knew Watchman Nee. So I, I, I was, I'm a Watchman Nee gatherer of info. I can't get too far with Stephen. He doesn't tell me much. But <laughs> I, I went to these sisters and I remember asking Sister Kerr, Sister Kwa, whatever you call her. Uh, and I said, uh, I said, what's your recollection of Brother Nee? And she said two things, just right off like this. First thing she said is, well, I remember a time where he could hardly speak because he was coughing all the time between his words. Oh, boy, that's unusual. <laughs> I, nobody ever told me about that. I didn't read that in Against the Tide. You know, that's pretty unusual. But the other thing she said is, boy, back in those days, we had to travel a long way across town. It took a long time to get to the meetings. 
But as soon as our brother started speaking, we were refreshed as he spoke. I just said in my heart, God, make me like that one day. The people could be refreshed and not be looking at their watches and say, oh God, have mercy. <laughs> But if we know the grace of God and allow the Lord to work in our lives, won't there be a dispensing of life? That's what we need. Oh, the miracle of God's stewardship through human vessels. And then this final section here, which it's hard to even know where, what, what to say. There's so much that could be involved. And as those who serve, as those who are serving by the strength which God supplies, this is that Greek word for deacon. Those who are serving, uh, serve. By the strength which God supplies. Oh, this is such a, a tremendous thing to say. There's so many ways of serving and so many gifts and so many graces. From those tremendous gifts, we think of like the gift of faith and the gift of healing. But then there's the showing of mercy. Helps administrations. There's so much service in the body of Christ. You know, in the initial days, many times an assembly comes together by the preaching of the Word of God. It's a, it, rightly so. The Word of God must lay a foundation for us as we gather together. But in the long run, the church grows by the serving of one another. As the body ministers one another, the body is built up by our loving one another. Without these gifts of service, I'm just going to say non-speaking service, in the long run, we don't make it. Groups that gather together based on the word of God alone end up dividing over doctrine. How we need saints who love and are hospitable and are charitable and are cheerful in their mercy. This is the kind of service that uh, uh, Peter must have in mind here when he's talking about this grace of serving. He even goes on right from there to exhort the elders there in chapter 5, as you notice. I exhort you elders among you as fellow elder and witness of the suffering Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, nor volu but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples of the flock. You know, the elders, the leaders, not, need to not only be speakers who don't have time for people, but exemplars in the fellowship. Listen, here is something. You want to see the grace of God? Then watch an elder take the time to teach somebody else how to lead. It will take them twice as long to teach the other person than for them to do it themselves. But they say no to themselves, and they try to train and help other people to hear the Lord and learn how to serve and how to lead. Oh, how we need this kind of serving and loving one another in the body of Christ. And here again, Peter sets this tremendous uh, standard or watermark, as it were. As we are serving, how are we to serve? By the strength which God supplies. And 
If I could just change that a little bit. We're to serve one another by the life of Christ within. This life, we fellowship with one another, and the body is built up. You know, many of us have a temperament and a desire to be compassionate on people, but a lot of that's a natural compassion. It's just our temperament. That will burn out with time in the body of Christ. People can use up your compassion. Uh, it's a commodity. And you can just wear yourself out being compassionate upon people when it's your own natural compassion. But somewhere in your stewardship, the Lord will teach you the transference of his life for yours, that you can help people with the Lord's compassion and the Lord's love, which may be a tougher love than you would have, but it's the Lord's love. And it's the Lord's compassion, and it's the Lord's mercy, and it's the Lord's hospitality, not just our own. I, I know some saints, and they're so dear, and they just want to love everybody, but they're so worn out even at the thought of that. And it's because they're trying to do these things out of their own energy. Oh, how we need to learn to serve by the strength which God supplies us through Jesus Christ. This exchanged life is just not for our own personal sanctification. This exchanged life is so that we might be servants of God by the life of another. An inexhaustible life. Even the Zoe of God through Jesus Christ. And the Lord wants us to learn these lessons. Well, uh, I've said enough. Just one more look at these verses. A look now... Not on an individual basis, what is my service, how should I show mercy, how should I be hospitable, what should I do with my funds. Let's back away from that and look at this picture once again. Verse 10, as each one has received a special gift, employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. How do we see the manifold grace of God? We can't see it in an individual the grace that you and I have received individually is just a little bit. But the picture that Peter sees is the church as the steward, the corporate steward. And what do people from the outside or people who are looking see when they see the church being faithful in its stewardship? They see the grace of God sparkling in all its many manifestations. Because all of the saints are responding to God's grace and supplying in some way. What a wonderful, wonderful church that is. That's you and I. Gathered together. And when we gather together, expressing the grace of God, his life, his love, his abilities in so many different ways, that when somebody comes in the midst, they say, I see Jesus. I pray that you and I will be gathered among some people who together can show this kind of fullness, this manifold grace of God. What a testimony that Jesus has come and Jesus is alive. May the Lord help us be faithful. Let's pray.
Oh, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is ours in richness and fullness and in ways yet undiscovered by us. And Lord, that grace that we have received, we seem to supply in such a small and insufficient way. But somehow we believe together by your spirit in our midst, we can manifest so much more than we are individually. We pray in the last days, in the days of trouble, as the public scrutiny looks at the church, that they may see the manifold grace of God. As each one ministers their special gift as part of a whole, being led by our head and Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we commit this into your hands. Lord, do raise up stewards. For those servants who aren't aware that they have a stewardship, give them to be aware of what it is that they have, that they can uh, uh, use and disperse at your bidding. Lord, cause us all to not to quit or become discouraged when our stewardship has fallen flat or we've made mistakes or been embarrassed. But help us just to say, Lord, I'm only a servant. Oh, Lord, teach me your ways and help us learn the lessons of the cross, the lessons of denial of self, and the lessons of faith that receives grace upon grace. Oh, Lord, until we look like Jesus, help us to look like Jesus in these last days. For his sake we pray.